Google. Hey, Google. Alexa. Hey, Alexa. Who was a better captain, Picard or Kirk? Kirk. Okay. Sorry, I don't know that, but uh, I do have a well, skill you might like. Sorry, it's you're. Called what's better? Want to try it? No. The no. <laughs> <laughs> <No> rejection. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Mom, I Joined a Cult, the only podcast about cults by an actual cult. Listen as we examine other cults, discuss what they did right and what they did wrong, and then build our own cult from the ground up. And now your hosts, Gunnar, Dawn, Thor, and Nathan. We're actually going to be talking with Dawn today, Dawn, who is a member of the Nice Cult. Right. Um, he actually uh, was part of this cult and uh, was a member for 17 years. Yeah, a member for 17 Zion. years. This other, this other cult. Mm-hmm. Of this Zion. other cult called Zion. Zion. There we go. And Thank then you. he traded up. Yeah. Well, and we also want to give like a well, caveat here about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to be talking about religion. There's a, there is a whole spectrum of people who believe in. Religion, like a zealot to, you know, nonchalant churchgoer. And so we're going to be talking about a a lot of different, you know, everyone has a lot of different opinions about, about, um, about religion. And so we're trying to respect it as, and also look deeply at it and, and uh, evaluate it. That's right. I'm going to take you guys to church. And awesome. just just as we're going through this, I I kind of like go like wild like on, on some of these cults. I'm like, that's so wild. Why the hell would someone believe that? Why would they follow that? It's not everything's not introduced at once. Um, you're not all of a sudden it's like, hey, here's what's going on fully with this this group of people. Do you want to be a part of it? No, it's it's never like that. It's always a little piece at a time they catch you with something and they pull you in and then you know and then by the time you kind of get a full understanding of it you're already part of it and and uh whatever it might be is is holding on to you so just keeping that in mind for people that are actually part of cults or if you have or understanding why you would even join it it's it's not like it's never presented all at once. You're not right. going to get the full thing. So, and, and another thing that only people who have been in a cult will understand is that it's it's a worldview. It's it's all encompassing. It, it's not something that could possibly be decoded or debunked by words alone. They bring you in with emotions. They bring you in with love. It's all encompassing. It's sacrifice. It's devotion in its in in as pure form as, as as a human being can express. People in the Middle East will strap bombs to themselves and run into a crowd, thinking, believing on a visceral level, and probably feeling the spirit of it when they are running into the crowd that they are doing the will of God. That's how serious it is. We, we we talk lightly about it in this podcast because it's easy when you're on the outside to see it from an outside perspective. But I can guarantee in almost every case, the participants felt it 
to their cores. And it was all encompassing. Well, as I go into this, I might be a little bit more sober than than in previous episodes uh, because it's a sober subject for me. And I also want to impart a little bit of the spirit of it to listeners so that they can recognize it and so that they can sympathize with former cult cult members and uh, and see things from their shoes. I want to hear your progression. What? Mm-hmm. And, and your feelings and mm-hmm. and your pains and uh, and the good things too because again yeah, we have to adopt something things. we have to there, adopt something there were, there were good things I well, would not have stayed if there weren't enough good things to to balance the bad mm-hmm. and the bad was very bad and conversely the good was very good all right, so how did you... Tell us how you got started in this. Well, um, as a teenager, I had always had had as part of my plan to serve a mission. I, I admired Joseph Smith. I even went out to my own personal grove. Well, there was no grove, but it was like a, it was like a gravel pit or something like that. And um, The sacred and, gravel pit. Sacred gravel pit. <laughs> and I prayed... Uh, And I prayed out loud and I prayed that God would would guide me and tell me what he wanted me to do. And I would, you know, serve him for the rest of my life. And uh, it was a very, very spiritual experience, very deep experience. Mm -hmm. And shortly after that, I got a visitor uh, and I, I need to go back a little bit. So this visitor, he is somebody that I met at a previous experience. I I did a job as a youth. My mom set me up to work with a, a group of of people on on a, on a ranch in in Moab, and they were they were a polygamous community. Um, they weren't a cult; they were just a couple. Uh, in polygamous terms, a couple like he had three wives, um, and and his like fifteen kids, and uh, they worked hard. They drilled holes in in a in a large rock and and blasted it with dynamite. So these uh, this blasting in the was this to make homes? Yeah, it was uh-huh. to make it was to make like refuge homes for, you know, the last days. Cool. Yeah. And my mom. Hobbit homes. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll have to, sh- to show you guys sometime. But it was pretty amazing. So DK stopped by my mom's house because he was a friend of my stepdad. And he said, hey, I'm going to go visit our friends in Moab. Do you want to come along? So as we were headed down to Moab, he started telling me about some stuff going on in Missouri. That there was a, a, a scientist there who was working on alternate fuels and, you know, trying to save the save the earth. I had always wanted to, you know, to work on renewable energy and stuff like that. And so I, I said, hey, um, yeah, let's visit our friends in Moab, but let me continue with you. I want to go with you to Missouri. And he said, great. And so I went with him. We got to Missouri and they there was a big black gate after, you know, driving down their driveway, which is about a quarter of a mile. It dipped down sharply. This is like an underpopulated or unpopulated part of Missouri. Mm, it was on the edge of, of independence. OK. OK. I wouldn't say uh, unpopulated, but it was on the outside edge of the suburbs of Kansas City. One of the things initially now, this wasn't a a cult as far as I as far as I could tell from that moment. 
Okay, this was a school. They purported to be a school, a college even. But, you know, the people that were there seemed a little different. Looking back, I would say they were uh, almost zealous. But at the time, it just seemed to me that they were they were very pure and they were always happy. They were always smiling. Well, not always smiling, but they always seemed like serene, you know, at peace with the world, with themselves. And I I liked that, I guess it uh, it appealed to me. But anyway, so I was visiting there and uh, they invited me to work with them to lay some cement. The road that we had come down was gravel when we went down um, and they were forming it up to for a, a long quarter mile stretch of cement road. It's expensive. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I guess it is. They had me help with that and it was backbreaking. It was, yeah, it was the hardest I had ever worked. And I had done some hard work, but this was, this was harder because they did the screening all by hand, just with a large board and a bunch of people moving like crazy through, through cement. And, and at the end of it, I felt more fulfilled than I had ever felt in my life. That was what I wanted. I, I felt like, okay, God, you led me here. What do you want me to do? And so I mentioned that to the to the guy that they called Bishop. And he said, well, sounds like it was more than a coincidence that brought you here. Over the course of the next few weeks and a couple of trials, um, I became a member. Do you mean you became a member or you joined the... So... Joined the... I joined uh, the, the school? The school. Yeah. Is um, that the same thing? So I learned very quickly within a week of arriving that it was more than just a school and that uh, they had religious meetings. At first, I thought this bishop guy was the leader, but no, it's this this guy with uh, with the silver hair and a beard. He looked like very prophet-like. He was a very, very serious guy, and he it looked like he wielded a lot of power. You know, before seeing him, I, I thought, you know, this was all, you know, kind of Shangri-La kind of place. And then I saw him and then it's like, oh, this is serious. And, and I noticed how everybody revered him. How did you feel? When I saw him? Yeah. Well, a little bit scared, I guess. Intimidated, maybe. They called him father. Everybody called him father and was all reverent. And they called him the patriarch of Zion. I told him I wanted to be part of uh, part of what he's doing, you know, that he, he worked with with hydrogen and he had a, a grandiose plan for saving the planet. And I, I wanted to be part of that. I figured that's the work of God, if anything is. He gave me some trials, sent me back to Utah to you know settle my affairs. Uh, well, I came back eventually with the, the girl I was uh, dating at the time. We got married and we got married there. There was an experience where before I was baptized, they they said there there's something you need to something that needs to happen before you're baptized. You need to know something, but we can't tell you. The spirit has to reveal it. And they were like, what do you think of when you look at father? What does he remind you of? And they're like almost like just prodding it out of out of me. And they, they start reciting these prophecies of, of Jesus Christ will come to uh, Independence, Missouri, and, and that, you know, the one mighty and strong will build Zion. And, and then go back to you. What do you think of when you, when, you, 
when you see father. Yeah, exactly. Is this early on that they started doing this? Oh, or it was. It was like um, within a month. Okay. Of me being there, I, I still wasn't placing it together. I was kind of kind of dense. <laughs> um, no, what, uh, go ahead. No, I was like saying I wouldn't call it dense. I'd be like, "What are you talking about? <laughs> what are you getting at?" <laughs> or also is dense. No. <laughs> Yeah. I am dense. <laughs> so eventually I got it, you know, just to, as they were taking me to get baptized, you know, because they felt like I was really close. You know, in the middle of all of that, there were some things that were very deep. You know, he, the people there when they worshipped were very, they, it was very pure and it was very sincere. They would sing a lot. They didn't swear. They didn't have coarse language. It was all very, you know, they were very congenial to one another. Have you ever sang a song in worship and just really meant it, like with 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 full gratitude that brought you to tears? That was the 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 manner of their worship when they would sing or when they would dance. They would feel it so deeply that it poured out on everybody who was watching. And they said that was the spirit. In their point of view, that was a manifestation that the Spirit had spoken to you, that that you build a testimony on. If you live in those circumstances and you feel those things, then you can build a testimony off of those feelings. And uh, I mean, it was. It was very fulfilling. Ecstasy of the Spirit. Yeah, it was, it was emotionally, it was emotionally and spiritually gratifying, fulfilling. And you see that in other religions, too. Like, I, I've been to like different services, one of them, um, Krishna, Krishna services, and I remember someone feeling just kind of like that, where she was just crying, saying, I finally feel what Krishna wanted me to feel this whole mm-hmm. time. I finally feel a sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. And I recognize that. Having gone to church my whole life as a kid, saw that she was experiencing something mm. akin to that. And, and I've seen that in other religions, too. It was the first time I've seen it. I saw it as an adult and see mm. this person that I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember having felt like that in mm. church before. Yeah, that's exactly how it is. We would have you know meetings like that. And then while RB was in the group, the patriarch of the group, the leader, the prophet, is Arby. Okay, and he is also the one that they that they were hinting is the one mighty and strong. He's Jesus Christ. He's the one that all of the the Mormon prophecies were pointing to as the one who will bring again Zion to prepare uh, the place for the uh, the gathering uh, for the for the millennium. Now this Which, this is an offshoot of Mormonism. It's not Mormonism. It's it's Mormon fundamentalism. Some Mormon fundal. Yeah, it's an offshoot. Off yeah, yeah. Was there a, a leader, a Mormon prophet that where they stopped believing? Like at we stopped at Wildruff Woodruff, or we stopped at well, Joseph Fielding Smith. The, the, they had a very compelling argument for how he got the keys based on you know um, Mormon history. Um, that he that he got the keys to. Um, when you're saying keys, you mean like the authority, the authority to... from God to do these things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that that God had handed to Joseph Smith 
you know, like like God had handed to Melchizedek way back in the Bible or that that he gave to that Jesus brought with him, you know, that he's he's, you know, kind of handed out so throughout R- the ages. RB is saying that he got the authority from someone else that. Yeah, he uh, he believed and he said that he got his authority from um, a man I'm going to call K.A. Mm-hmm. K.A. was a insurance salesman in Utah um, but you know that's that don't let that define him he was <laughs> according to RB he was a very very powerful person he he commanded a lot of respect and he had a group of people who worshiped him there was a a guy and his wife who who traveled with him who were married uh, oh a guy and his wife were married yeah uh, but that his wife kind of polyandried with K.A. Um, because spiritually, he told her that that she was his wife. Those dang spiritual wives. I know. That trick doesn't work very often. Yeah, no, you have to really buy into it. Anyway, so the folklore around the, the founding was that, that K.A. revealed to R.B. that K.A. was Joseph Smith reincarnated that this was a time when you know there was a changing of of the president of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints and ka felt like god was going to reveal to the the, to the apostles that he was going to be the prophet or 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 either the prophet or or one of the apostles um, because there were some vacancies there as well but that never happened so in his mind well, the church is fallen because they didn't they recognize disre- me. Disregarded the, you know, the the this, what the spirit was actually saying, saying that he should be the the new leader. So, uh, long after that happened, uh, Ka and and R B met in Missouri, and I mean they'd known each other for a while, but in in Missouri they Ka told R B that uh, um, he didn't tell him that he was he was Joseph Smith. He probably hinted along the along the lines that I was hinted to that RB was Jesus Christ uh, until until RB was like why does it feel like when I talk to you I'm talking to Joseph Smith and then KA falls on his knees and starts crying I could never have told you if you hadn't had it revealed to you by the spirit and that was like the beginning of Zion and eventually KA told RB that that he was Jesus Christ, that he was the one mighty and strong, and that it was his job to bring again Zion. So that's that's how it started. What was his history? Okay, Arby was a scientist guy. Uh, he grew up in Utah, and uh, he'd started several companies, and he had you know done some very remarkable things in the in the field of renewable energy he, he was celebrated in fact also in the computer industry he had started a, a computer company that rivaled apple at the time in the early 80s he had a pc with that you know ran on floppy disks and it could run dos it ran it had a basic interpreter and it was it was a big thing for a little while so successful. He was successful. He was smart. He, he had a very heavy-handed approach to, to leadership. I think bordering on, on narcissism if it didn't actually cross that line, um, which is why when K.A. 
told him he's Jesus Christ, he like, oh yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> did you ever learn? Did you ever do what you went there to do? Like you went there did, for right? renewable energies and things oh. like that. Did you oh, ever yeah, go yeah. into that? I, we did. Okay. We did that quite a bit, and awesome. and that was that was a, a fun little endeavor. We we went to conferences and and. The way the way Zion worked is these industries were kind of Arby's way of uh, kind of a vehicle for his proselyting efforts. Mm -hmm. He would um, go to conferences and things like that. And the very pure Zion people interacting with everyone would impress upon them. Hey, these are very pure people. I wonder what makes them so pure. And, the, and his hope was that they would feel the spirit of Zion through him doing speaking engagements and through the people who were manning his booth. No, it didn't work. But it, we felt it was because, yeah, this is just a wicked world. And But eventually, you know, God will, will gather his elect and they will feel him and come. You know, there, there was no gather whoever you could. There was no standing on the street corners handing out pamphlets with this one. It was the people who come feel the spirit and feel like God's calling them or else they don't come. The group stayed very small for a very long time. And he and he was very proud of that. He felt like it was like a hardwood tree that it grows slowly and but it grows strong. It can weather any storm. When you say it was a small group, what are, how many people are we talking about? Uh, when I first came, it was I don't know, under 100. Mm. Um, when I left, it was 150. And that's over that's over uh, 17 years. So that's very slow growth. That is slow, yeah. Especially if you're talking birth rate. <laughs> that's a good point. And, and that's mostly why it grew, mm. is from people being born. There were maybe half, maybe, maybe a little more than half a dozen people who actually came from outside. But... There were a lot of people born into the so, group. So you're, you brought your girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Was she? Did she? Did she buy into it the way you did? Did you? Did you have to convince her? Was um, it like I had, she I coming her, just to see, and then she? Well, I had her talk to RB, and and RB argued with her and hung up on her, and then she eventually decided, oh well, this is, you know, I, I felt like. He was very powerful, and she was, like, really turned on by that. And uh, she eventually came. So let's do some fast-forwarding are, are we Just so I understand, was that is that a sexual term, turned on? <laughs> I just want to... She was I'm spiritually just, turned okay. on. Oh, there we go. Yeah, okay. I wondered, too. I know, I just... No, yeah, right? I was trying to so, figure out where so we were this, going with that, because this so could here's a, a really it, good point. That, that no. Act, no, no, no. <laughs> it it kind of goes there. Okay. It, mm -hmm. it does kind of go there. The first few years were bliss. They were amazing. And it, we were changing the world. We were reaching out to people. We were impacting the scientific community and the fringe scientific community. It's interesting that those are the ones that seem to come more often <laughs> than the legitimate ones. But every, every once in a while, RB would chew someone out. And it was like really fierce, like he'd be yelling and pounding on things. He didn't hit people often at the time. One meeting, he, he struck Bishop, like smacked him in front of everybody. 
and sent him out, sent him away to, to a hotel. That was kind of a, it was kind of the beginning of, of bad times. Um, was there any of this before the, uh, before the three years or was it? It not, not in my presence. It may have happened behind closed doors, but this was the first time I had witnessed it. Uh, it wasn't very long before I had made a mistake. We were drilling a hole up up on top. Since this is underground, we we wanted to run a communication cable between the surface and the uh, underground cavern. But I had purchased PVC pipe that was going to to fill the hole. That was too big for the mm-hmm. hole, and uh, it was as big as the bit. But the bit had gone had had jogged around a little bit on the way down, so it wasn't a straight shot. Um, so I'd gotten the wrong size PVC and we had to return it. But when RB saw that we'd got the wrong size PVC, he started yelling at me and he boxed my ears, like smacked me on both sides of the, of the head until my ears rang. And I was so surprised. I, I, I peed my pants in spite of myself. I had no, I didn't have any control in the matter. It was like, I've just been struck. <laughs> You know, <laughs> I didn't even know what was happening, um, but he did. He struck me, and uh, my ears were ringing, and I couldn't hear very well. And he sent us, you know, I mean, we, we, we got the replacement PVC and, and finished the job, but, like, yeah, I think he really got off on that because it happened more and more. To you specifically or to everyone? Well, to everyone in varying degrees, but to me, it seemed like to me the most. It could have been that, well, he was doing it to everybody just almost as much, but I perceived that I was his favorite whipping boy because, um, I mean, at first it was like every few months, then it was every month, then it was multiple times a month. And it wasn't just hitting, it was also like denounce you in front of in front of everyone humiliate you when he would do that you know it, would, it was devastating because these are your friends these are you know the, the only people in your life we had we were separated from our families outside you you're you're too busy doing the work of god to you know to spend much time communicating with your family so he wasn't like don't talk to your family it was more like yeah, when when you have time, you can, but they don't matter as much as this. The the patriarchal order of heaven is a spiritual thing, and your physical family aren't your you know your real family. They're not even the ones that matter. It's we're building the patriarchal order here. So to understand that, um, you have to understand what what they think heaven is, and it's based a lot on on some LDS um, teachings because it's it's literally all everything that. Joseph Smith uh, taught. So they believed that there was a big war in heaven, that a third of the hosts of heaven were cast out, that the cause of that was Lucif- was the, the argument between Lucifer and Jehovah. From his story, it was much expanded from the Mormon version in that he said that it was all of Lucifer's posterity that were failing the tests, that there were like countless worlds where children were tests that every world was presided over by an, uh, uh, Jehovah Elohim and, and Michael that were the spiritual fathers of the children going into that world. And they were tested to see if they were, you know, they would choose God 
and be exalted or whether they would, you know, fail and have to be sent to a whole nother world and be tested again. And his, so there's like a reincarnation kind of exactly thing, but on oh, different worlds. On different, on different worlds, you're, uh-huh. you're just passed on down the line. Well, well, he, there were seven dispensations to each world, seven times where over courses each of a thousand years, where a group of, where the people would come back. So they'd be reincarnated seven times in a world, and the seventh time would be like the big resurrection, and everyone would be exalted. That you know that chose to be, and everybody else would be, you know, funneled off to the next world. To the next world, yeah. And so the 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 idea was that Lucifer's kids weren't making it, and Lucifer wanted to save them. So he like proposed this idea. Well, what if what if we we smack their hands every time they made a mistake? And Jesus was like, No, God God's plan has always been that people choose. And Lucifer got angry because. You know, he, he was desperate and wanted to save his kids. And he, he and his kids got into a war with, with God and his kids. And it wasn't so much that Lucifer's kids were, were rebellious. It was that when their father was cast out, because, because it was like a circuit. The patriarchal order of heaven was God, Lucifer, Jesus Christ, or underneath him, and, and all their children underneath them, like they were connected by wires. And when Lucifer got cast off, all of his kids lost their connection to God. They lost their... Con- their they were cut off. They were cut off. Just like it's a circuit, they were getting no power, no authority. Authority like through priesthood. And so they had to be sent out to outer darkness, which is, and according to RB, this world. Like in the Ice Age, this world was out in you know far from any star and was frozen so so you, you were going as to say uh, the reason why you're telling the story is to say mm-hmm. why you guys felt special because yeah, so this, you guys felt like you were the elect exactly right? so yeah. because because there was rebellion at such a high place in in the order higher than that had ever happened before in the history of heaven god felt like he needed you know the father felt like he needed to rebuild the whole order and and the last shall be first and the first shall be last. You've probably heard that scripture. And he says that's what that meant, that the ones who were the most devoted would get sealed in the highest places. The ones who felt the spirit and were called and followed that calling were the most of were the found with the new foundation of heaven, Zion. And so that's why we felt special, because we were the foundation of heaven. All eternity re- depended on us to to succeed. You know, it's 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 not just vanity; it's also like a sense of duty, because when you're constantly made to test your devotion, your love, your allegiance becomes a, a badge of honor, and. You just do whatever it is because everything that he asks you to do, the harder it is, the better. Because the harder it is, the the more devotion you're showing mm-hmm. to him. And so we would go through a lot. You'd be smacked around. You'd be the women would would be taken to nightclubs and you know they dance in front of strangers. Be taken to hotel rooms. They would have to like have sex with strangers. To show their devotion. <clears throat> Is this to get more people in? Yeah. He felt like sex was a very, very sacred thing. And that 
it done properly, like with the spirit, which sounds kind of creepy, um, <laughs> that you you would feel a pure infusion of of virtue. And that's 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 what he, he described as the the energy that one person imparts to another is virtue. And, and also the way he describes heaven as the, the patriarchal order that and that electricity in that circuit is virtue. It's an energy that God imparts to his children. When Lucifer was cut off, he lost his virtue and so did his kids. So Lucifer's kids are still on this earth. They don't have bodies now. They just watch to see how we do the people in bodies who are all the children of Jesus Christ. Are they here to like tempt us or yes. do they, they're yeah. mischievous? Yeah, they're, they, they take the role of Satan. Okay. Yeah, and Satan was a priesthood calling in, in previous worlds. He would tell people he would have women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he would have... He would basically prostitute them out. Yeah. But yeah, free, so but, that's not prostitution, right? Right. It was it was just a way of, of getting people to, to open up to his message, I guess. Did that work? Um... No, not really. Uh, yeah, I have a but hard it was time ma- it was mainly it was mainly just so his his queens would would have an opportunity to express their devotion to him that they would do anything for him. I'd what probably go queens? to church at least once if that happened. <laughs> yeah, no, I, what, what do you mean by queen? His queens, queens is that like the, all the, the women the, or well, all the pretty women? Uh, most of them that aren't his daughters were revealed to be his celestial queens. Uh, and this, this gets into another point of doctrine. He called them celestial daughters. That is a term indicating that the woman was was divided from the man by his rib, was a figurative rib. The son's intelligence would be formed, and then his intelligence would be split, and a daughter would be made out of that, and, and the son would be made out of that. And the this one, the, the woman was called a daughter because she came from Adam. So it was just semantic. A man could, you know, with his, with his queen, with, with his wife in, in heaven, if he created a, a female intelligence, she wouldn't be split and made a, made a pair of someone else. She would be his own. So he makes more daughters for himself more celestial wives. That's how he justified polygamy. That's wild. Okay. <laughs> it <But> is. <laughs> so how many wives did he have? Or does he have? I, I don't know how many he has. Did he have a certain he had, type? He had a certain type like Tiger Woods. He cheated on his wife with someone mm-hmm. that looks like his wife. <laughs> I hadn't heard You know. That. Okay, um, yeah. I'm just it's like, well, is it just... Young, young. Young preferably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There were at least three women that I know or that I am pretty sure, though you can't really prove it, that he had slept with before they were 18. The statute of limitations prevents him from getting prosecuted about because he kind of like after the first lawsuit came, he's like, oh, I better not be be doing that. So were were there rules like, all right, you're going to find these guys. Did he pick out the guys for them to sleep with? I do know that I was selected a couple of times to sleep with some of them. Um, and I know some of the other guys have, too. Was this early on? No, not, early, not, early, on, not early on. Not early on. It was like it was later on. 
it was after I'd started being being abused and it was part of the abuse because whenever he would create one of these experiences, you'd be sound asleep and then you would hear a knocking on the door. When I woke up, I would usually be like terrified, shaking, terrified because I knew that there was a there was a 50% chance that I was just going to get beat up <laughs> or that there was going to be some kind of some some test of devotion that would be really hard. Anyway, it always made me like shaking nervous. So they would sit, they would I would go to the door and, and they'd be like, father wants you to go to his area. And then they'd walk off and I'd have to be like going up to his area and I'd knock on the door and I, I would wait for sometimes a half an hour, sometimes longer. He would make you wait. I think he liked that. And then he would have one of his queens open the door for you and you would smell this this aroma of perfume mixed with his cologne. He always had really strong cologne and his his queens always had really strong perfume. Or and also he would burn incense in the in the room. So it was like very it was very fragrant and usually usually very good very good smell, but my memory thinking of it, I smell it, you know. It it was it's like that. Uh, and then you'd go in and then either he'd be playing some music. Usually he'd be playing some music and he would have his his women dancing in front of him and to the music. And it was, you know, we and when when we're doing worship and stuff like that, we listen to worshipful hands. But when he's in his private quarters, he's playing like like pop music that is really sensual and stuff like that. And, you know, he'd, he'd have him strip dance in front of him and, and whoever he brought in, me in that case. Sometimes it just ended after that, you know. Sometimes those experiences, which were his, his gifts to his sons, um, happened after he beat them up during that day because he was a strong believer in the principle of um, reprove betimes with sharpness, less, but showing an but show forth love. an increase of love, lest yeah. they esteem you to be their enemy. He would reprove. He would chastise with sharpness, whack with his open palm against your face and until your the insides of your cheeks bled because of cuts on your cheeks. And then show forth an increase in love you know, invite you into his area and have his his women dance naked in front of you, which is a rare gift, I guess. He once told me um, that to that to have that experience was was one of the the greatest gifts of God, and that to refuse it was a grave insult. You know, refu refusing God's gift. Who in their right mind would do that? Anyways, these sex gifts became more intense and more explicit. And I'm not. This isn't a rated R broadcast, so we're not gonna not gonna go into a lot of the detail. But they happened a lot and and often painful. He went into BDSM. Most BDSM. Um, that is bondage, sadism, and masochism. Okay, I'm not into that. I'm not either. Okay. <laughs> but, but I he don't didn't, like it. Never, I, I tried to do it once and it just was not. Nope. Sorry, honey. Yeah. I'm not going to tie you up anymore. I just can't handle it. Take this mask back to Kmart. Yeah. yeah no, 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 I just Kmart. Blue light special. This is the end to the first part of Zion's Cult in Missouri. And again, as always, 
if you're going to join a cult. Join the nice cult.